Another great episode of Mystery of Parenthood coming up. If you like what you hear, go to redsearadio.org, click on the donate button, and become a monthly sustaining member. Please support us. Thank you, and God bless. All right. As always, that means you're listening to the Mystery of Parenthood. I'm Trey Cashin. I'm together here with uh, Thaddeus Romanski, and we're going to bl- begin with uh, what we always do, our prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord God, from you every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. Father, you are love and life. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, born of woman, and through the Holy Spirit, the fountain of divine charity, Grant that every family on earth may become for each successive generation a true shrine of life and love. Grant that your grace may guide the thoughts and actions of husbands and wives for the good of their families and of all the families in the world. Grant that the young may find in the family solid support for their human dignity and for their growth in truth and love. Grant that love, strengthened by the grace of the sacrament of marriage, may prove mightier than all the weaknesses and trials through which our families sometimes pass. Through the intercession of the Holy Family of Nazareth, grant that the Church may fruitfully carry out her worldwide mission in the family and through the family. We ask this of you who is life, truth, and love with the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy Family of Nazareth, pray for us. St. John Paul II, pray for us. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, so uh, Spe- special week here at uh, Mystery of Parenthood, Trey, because on Saturday is none other than Pope St. John Paul II's feast day. I know. So this, yeah. is, a, this is a special week a special for us week here for at us. Mystery of Parenthood. For sure, and um, my favorite, I was, it was interesting, I was talking to a good friend of mine, uh, we, we, were, we were going, we were in the car, and, and um, I'd been in a Bible study with him, a Protestant friend, and... and um, John Paul II came up because there was a there's a book written by a Protestant author about manhood and it's called Seven Men and and the Secret of Their Greatness and one of those seven men was John Paul II. So, Boom. So pretty cool. Yeah, very cool. Uh, very cool. And I think we're going to be talking about something that's uh, very close to his heart. He wrote on the subject on this subject a lot from a lot of different directions and that's the domestic church that's the family exactly and and i think that you know we all know that the family is is uh certainly under attack because the foundation of the family um is marriage and then we've got um i think it's a difficult time to be raising families i mean um I, i think there's more information available out there there's Certainly not not anything like you know fifty seven. So even back then, even though there were struggles, it's just we, we're m- more isolated, I think, and kind of just knew what was going on around us. There was no World Wide Web. There was nothing. There was no. There weren't cell phones. There weren't all the things that are there. And certainly, just as a backdrop, there weren't attacks on um, things that people just felt. You know that everybody, whether they were Christian or not, whether they were Catholic or not, kind or of a givens. Yeah. Or givens. It was kind of the way, you know, you don't lie, cheat, or steal. It's pretty much there. Um, go to work. You, you know, this the stuff that's just well, I mean, taking for let's get let's get down to brass tacks. I mean, the idea that a marriage is between a man and a woman that that that's that, a given. Right. That you know, ideally, a marriage should be lifelong right. and fruitful. That was still still there. I mean, it, you was, know, it was kinda... much more widely accepted or it just kind of assumed people not really even thinking about it. And then that, you know, parent, that children need a mother and a father right. to help them in their development. Yeah. So their development. I think it's a lot harder today and even harder today than when we were raising our kids as young, because it's, I mean, the it's accelerated in terms mm-hmm. of, uh, particularly in this country, but really across the world on that. So thought we'd go back. There was a nice article about um, the domestic church. It's called, you know, domestic church. Uh, hold on. It's just a family. <laughs> Try cash and live in. There's a question mark there. So, um, but anyway, I, and, and it was 
put out by Word on Fire, written by Robert. Robert Mi- Mixo. Mixo. I've actually interviewed Robert on Red Sea Roundup earlier in 2022. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. And he's a, he's a good guy. He's a fellow at the Word on Fire Institute, and he is an interesting connection. We're talking about John Paul II. He's actually married to a Polish woman. Oh, wow. And so he has a lot of... Uh, a lot of love for Poland, things Polish, Pope John Paul II, obviously. Um, oh, that's cool. So, yeah, so I neat, neat I little know, connection. I didn't, know, I didn't know who that was, but um, but I think it's a really good article. And I think, you know, a lot of it is just reminders, hopefully, for most of us. But But this idea of domestic church is central to, I think, at least cultivating a culture that kind of goes goes back to the basics of what it means to be married, what it means to be a family, uh, and how that works. And so, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I have a few comments on, on this and we go through the article though. I think they'll come up, but we've got to, again, it's the, it's very similar and really, you know, the whole idea of mystery of parenthood kind of flows from this idea that, that, um, the, Marriage and family are meant to be an outward sign uh, to this world of God himself and that God revealed himself and reveals himself in and through marriage and in and through the family in a particular way. And, and that, and I think this is really important and very humbling because God asks us to try to be, (laughs) um, Asks us to be those witnesses, those kind of outward signs of what of what it means to be. Because I mean, it, it, John Paul II went to great lengths to kind of point out that really from the very beginning, the family was meant to be this outward sign of the Trinity. Certainly in Scripture, you know, John, I mean, uh, Saint Paul goes to great lengths to to say that the husband should should love his wife. <laughs> as Christ loves the church and that the church, the bride, you know, bride should be in union with the bridegroom, you know? And so those two images are, are meant to be revealed in some way through what goes on in a family. Mm -hmm. And, and Mixa, he quotes the catechism of the Catholic church, number 2204, the Christian family constitutes a specific revelation. That's what you're, there you are, a public visible sign and realization of ecclesial communion. And for this reason, it can and should be called a domestic church. Right. So it's coming straight from the catechism. It's that is, that is what it's meant to be. And I love the, I love the, it's a, it's a, it's a revelation meaning it's revealing something um, about the church and the way it's supposed to be. But it's also a realization meaning that from the church and from what Christ has given us in and through his church, and particularly in and through the sacrament of holy matrimony, um, it's a realization, meaning it's actually, so it, it, they kind of, it kind of points to even the idea of a sacrament itself, because it's not just a sign, which it is, right, a revelation, but, it, but it's also a realization, meaning that, that it's grace-empowered, so to speak, that it, that it gives us the strength to actually live that out. So it's not just a sign by itself, but it's a sign with a revelation, I mean, with a um, realization of that sign, right? That it's actually, what, what do we say about a sacrament? That it that it actually, um, it, it, what is this a word? I'm, I'm losing my mind. As I mentioned to, to uh, Thaddeus earlier, I, 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 I'm back from a 40th high school reunion, so... Mine's a little foggy. Mm-hmm. Didn't sleep like normal, yep, and didn't sleep. Catch up, but but didn't um, sleep very much. But 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 the idea that that a sacrament is not just a sign, but it actually causes what it signifies, or it affects what it signifies. I think that's what I was trying to get at. Yes. So so anyway, I think that 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 quote is very important. That so we as we as families, as domestic churches, people who take seriously their they're th- just like anything else, that their Catholicity, their their faith, has to know what is the church about, and then it has to know um, 
what it should look like and it should be modeled after what the church is meant to be in reality and then rely on the grace of the sacrament of marriage to actually affect that. In other words, help us to become what uh, we signify, so so to speak. Or, or I think he also mentions John Paul II would say, the family become what you are. So basically, there's the idea that, well, you're already this domestic church. You're meant to be this sign. But there is something about us participating in becoming what we already are, right? We're, we're, that's, that's the whole idea of, of, of grace, really, and, and truth, that we know what the truth is about that, and we have to accept that, but then we have something to do in order to become that. And God provides the grace we need to elevate our nature so that we can be better husbands, better wives, better parents um, in and through the circumstances and the personalities and the temperaments and all the different things that are part of a communion of people that were meant to actually participate in becoming this domestic church. So anyway, I think, you know, from it was kind of helpful. And I think he points out at the beginning of this article, which I think was kind of the history of it, that it's kind of founded on, on Hebrew and the family is, um, central to Israel, central to the Jewish faith, central to what Jesus was born into in, in the Holy Family, and that the family is also a covenant, right? There's this, there's this covenant, and the covenant means that it's, it's basically a one-way, and, that, and that's how I think we have to look often at, at marriage. When I make a commitment to my wife to be faithful and say, and say my vows, I mean, I'm giving that covenantally. It's not like some signed contract. I mean, I'm, I'm saying I'm going to be faithful to you till death do us part. I'm, I'm going to be open to children. I'm going to do all these things. But in this world, that, that, bec- that can become very difficult. And so we have to also realize in the same context that that's the truth about what we're doing. And she made the same promises back to me but that we as individuals have to struggle with and call upon the grace of the sacrament to actually live it out. But it is a covenant and that family by definition is meant to be this covenantal relationship, this I promise. And when I promise, that's what I'm, that's what I'm committing to do. So um, he makes a point, which I think, you know, I think a lot of people might point to, of the, doesn't Jesus seem to be critical of the family, right? And he uses these quotes um, from Luke 14, 26, when he says, whoever comes to me and does not hate his father, mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself cannot be my disciple, you know. And then he also quotes from Matthew 10, 35 and 36, when he says, for I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and one's foes will be members of one's own household. Um, it seems like it kind of he may be attacking that, but he makes a really good point. He doesn't. He also says that he's come to f- fulfill, not to abolish the law, and that's where he kind of starts to say this is it. So the so the des- domestic church is what Vatican II and what the Catholic Church on the quote we read points to. It's this revelation and realization of this communion, this union that is a church and it's called a domestic church. So um, I guess a little bit later, just in background, which I think is really interesting is um, he talks about it's so central to, to the Jewish faith. And I, I think this quote is really interesting, but he says that there's little, written on it from a theological standpoint on the family in the Jewish faith. And, and that he talked to a rabbi and the rabbi said, well, you know, the family's like air, you know, you're, you're surrounded by air, you drink it in. It's absolutely everything. You could not live without it. And so there's this kind of just this understanding. He's just saying it's, we don't write a lot about it because it's just presumed. I think that's part of the point where we are right now is it's not presumed anymore. Yeah. The family, by definition, is being attacked. Like, what is a family? And it's it kind destabilized. Of, uh, destabilized, yeah. and there's no, like, fundamental, like, this is 
the way it is. So it's not like air anymore. <laughs> I mean, in terms of the understanding of this rabbi and the understanding of early Judaism. Where it's taken it. for granted in the sense of that phrase of it, it's like we don't have to we don't have to discuss it or define terms about it. I mean, just everyone understands what it is and what right. its purpose is. Just like air is here. I mean, we just breathe it in because it's there. I mean, and, and, and it's necessary for life, but we don't think about well, I wonder if the air is there. I mean, we don't, but now we have to think about it. I think that's a, I think that's an important point. We have to think about what does it mean to be a family and what does it take to be a family? Um, and I thought there was a couple other things that I think were really important that he brought up. He said, you know, the family as a domestic church is grounded in, in Hebra- Hebraic anthropology or the study of man that understands a human, a human person in corporate terms that's another point that, that I think is important, it, you know, um, and, and he actually quotes to kind of get across this idea, an African proverb that says, I am, beca- I am because we are. And this idea that we're all being in it together, you know, this communal aspect. And they, he mentions the fact, and this is part of what's undermining it as well, this kind of Western understanding of human persons as being like, just individuals. They're autonomous. They can do what they want. They're self-determining individuals, isolated self-determining individuals, kind of a miserable life. I mean, um, and I, and I saw, I, you know, it's funny, I, this is totally an aside. And, and I was at this high school reunion and ran into this, to this girl that we knew. She was kind of like the girl in middle school and high school. And, the, and there was a noted sa- sadness there was a happiness to be back together with the people who she knew and grew up with, but there was a sadness about um, the end coming to that. N- n- well, two ends. One, hey, we're all getting old. It kind of makes me sad to get back together to see everybody old and dying. But the other flip side was is she, our friends were that. Like we were dropping her off, just why I'm so tired, at 5 o'clock in the morning <laughs> we'd been over the friend's house till about four thirty. we dropped her off and she didn't want us to leave i mean she was like hey can we get a pizza well it's, it's five o'clock in the morning maybe a breakfast pizza i mean <laughs> you know oh, wow you know well, why don't it's you come lit. in and talk to to i mean me and my friend my the guy i was staying with why don't we come and talk with us and there was a sadness like i'm wanting to be and there's a sense of what it's like to be an isolated autonomous um, mm. self-determining individual mm-hmm. in, in very real terms. I mean, mm-hmm. like we can be, if we look at things that way, we can be isolated. We can be lonely while we're with people. Uh, and particularly if we have this view. So in, in terms of how we approach family, we should always be, it's us. I mean, you're part of us, not right. I mean the, the us, I mean, so we, we, in our family, and we learned this from uh, the thing that we had studied a long time ago, that we have to, I think we have to create two things for our children. You know, we'd always say, well, you're a cashin. You know, we use the idea of cashin. You're, you're, there's something that cashins are meant to reflect. Well, the same thing goes, well, you're a Catholic. There's something Catholic. So we have to always be kind of, you're, you're not by yourself. You, you have you have other people to rely on. You're not by yourself. You are an individual, unique, unrepeatable, but you were placed in this and you exist because we exist. And because we exist, there are certain things that you're meant to go out into this life and reflect to this world because that's who you are. You're a Catholic, you're a cash in. And I think that that's good. So there's a, a sense of pride, not in the worst sense of the term, but in the best sense of the term, that there are certain things that we stand for. And because we stand for that, it's important that you understand that when you go out, like I think I've used this before, there was a, a nephew of mine that was talking about another nephew and mm-hmm. had just brought up that, that there had been some difficulties in practice. And, and, and after practice, my nephew goes up and said, hey, listen, man, your name is Cashin that reflects on me. (laughs) 
and and I think there's a reality to that, right? I mean, mm-hmm. and, but to call to a standard based on the fact of who you are, right? And you're not defined by cash, and hopefully you're defined a little bit by Catholic, but at the same time, there is something about you, you're not just yourself in this world. You, your life speaks to this world about who you're associated with. And I think to build that into how you communicate with your own children is essential for them feeling like they're a part, but then realizing that there are standards and there are certain things that they're called to that maybe the rest of the world, the other people aren't called to. There are certain gifts and talents that the family has received because just like an individual, family, as John Paul II would say, is unique and unrepeatable itself. And so there's something unique and unrepeatable about this particular Cashin family that, st- that, that started with Trey and Stephanie Cashin that we have to communicate to. Like, well, what do we stand for? What are, what are, what are, what are, what's important to us? What are the gifts and talents that have been entrusted to us as a family and to you as an individual to go out into this world and share with this world? Because that's what you're called to do. So I don't know if that make that makes sense, but that idea of a corporate mentality, you're not in this alone. I think that's very helpful. I think it's very scary to feel yourself as being an autonomous, you know, self-determining individual. There's a part of truth to that, right? I mean, you make choices and you have those, but but at the same time, you're not an island unto yourself. What you do communicates to this world something about us, whether that means us, Train Stephanie Cashin's family, or us, the Catholic Church, right? Because that's what people, how do people know what we believe. How do people know? Well, they know by what we do, right? I mean, we can communicate it, but if you're not living what you're communicating, if you're not actually, again, here it is. You're signifying simply because you have the name, right? I mean, your people are looking to you saying, okay, you're supposed to be a sign of this. You have to realize it. So there's a part of it that says, I've got to do it. So you're a specific revelation and realization of the Cashin family. You're a specific realization, I mean, revelation and realization of the Catholic church, right? And so that's what a domestic church means. So I, I love that, the point that he, sometimes I, don't know if, I think we take it for granted, but you have to build that into the way you teach your children. The way One of the you, ways we try to teach that in, in my family is um, going back to the third commandment, uh-huh. uh, thou shalt honor thy father and mother. Am I numbering them correctly? Fourth, I think. Fourth? Four, excuse me. Um, but the idea of honoring thy father and mother and how we try to help them understand it or we think is an important part of understanding that commandment is the idea of the children bringing honor to their 100%. parents by how they live, right. by how they act when they go out from the family. So anytime they do... Uh, they do something good, beautiful, true. They're bringing honor to their uh, mother and father. Hundred percent. And the way that the way that the way the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, is organized, the first three are about our relationship with God. Right. Four flows right out of that because I think it's pointing to the fact that if you're going to honor God, it has to take. It has to have an impact on how you do it, and that begins with the family. That's how you actually do it. So to honor your father and mother is very similar to our way that we would honor God the Father. Right. And as Catholics, we would honor honor our mother Mary and then the church. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of like pointing to the fact that it comes in right after that. (laughs) Absolutely. It's pointing to the fact that that's the way in our humanity that we – signify and then realize through our actions that. And so the honor is important. So that's another thing. We went to great lengths, great lengths. Um, if a child, if somebody called and said, man, you know, your son or your daughter were um, really handled the situation well or did whatever, we went to great lengths when we received that to point out, I think what you said is you're fulfilling that commandment. You just honored us. 
not by saying, aren't my parents great, or I honor my parents, but just by living, being a living example in a situation, so much so that somebody calls us as parents and says, I want to thank you for the way your child handled this or the way they did that. And that's, that is a really Catholic, incarnational, Christian, truly Christian way of taking our humanity seriously, meaning that we don't just say we believe something and then go live another way. We, we say we believe something and we live out what we believe. And I think that that's really important. It takes it really important. It takes our lives as important reflections and that we have to participate in that. If they do something that's bad, then they dishonor us and the cash in name, right? And so we don't focus so much on on that as we made sure that when we hear something positive, why wow, you you really honored us by the way you handled that and made a big deal out of the fact that they did to try to encourage that. So, um, I think that's I mean I think it's a great point and a way way to do it is to point them to that. Um, I think another one that I think is really important for. Uh, marriage and family is he points out that family is the fruit of marriage and it's its purpose right um, and he, he uses Genesis 120 he said God blessed them and God said to them be fruitful and multiply so the, so the life is part of this love between two people which again in concept reflects who God is because God is love Mm-hmm. That's St. John goes to great lengths to say God is love and love necessarily because of the outpouring of it from one to another actually leads to life. Love and life are connected, so to speak. Um, they're meant to be connected, particularly as a reflection of who God is. And so that's, again, we, we're not going to get into it, but that's where part of the teaching on on sexuality from the church comes from that idea that that love and life are meant to be together love and life are meant to be for life as a reflection of God's faithfulness to himself right God three persons one God but also our reflection of that so um, and that life is supposed to flow through it so Anyway, that's why I think it's so important for us to study or at least have a pretty good grasp on theology, which is basically what are we meant to signify? What are we meant to signify? Because that really is the groundwork to give us some idea. I mean, we built our, somebody asked us on, on our parent, on parenting, how did we do it? Well, what we did was say, well, how does God correct his children? You know, how does, how does God handle that? And I think it gets back, I was going through in my mind just thinking about the church as a whole and what is the church for the church the church is a place where we receive guidance so we 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 get all right we understand what truth is and what how should we be living so there's kind of this sense of guidance and then there's this sense of support or encouragement that 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 says okay you're going to do it but now you have access well in the church that's sacraments as parents it's us supporting them or, or encouraging them or challenging them to do something that's where it is it's a place of sustenance it's a place where we the church is where we receive in the sacraments and the people we come in contact with sustenance for the journey the ability to go back out into the world where, where maybe we're not very well accepted or we people might and be encouraged because we know we have other people that are going through similar struggles and then finally, it's a place, I think, of rest. It's a place where we can be safe. It's a place where we can be ourselves in that. And that's where the church is. So anyway, um, there was a term he used, which I hadn't hadn't really thought of. He's talking about how covenants are really, it's not just about individuals. So he didn't just make a covenant with Abraham. He made a covenant with, other, with, uh, with all of the families that flow from that. Mm-hmm. And then he uses this word, which I, it's just totally an aside. Um, he said that Abraham and his family has, have been chosen and elected to re-Edenize the world, 
Well, Eden's where the begin the creation was. So it's kind of this idea of this recreation mm-hmm. that we're we're meant to bring the truth, and now even more than ever, instead of acclimating or um, allowing the world to come in to change us, we should be the entities and the groups of people that actually point the world towards the way it should be, you know, faithfulness, love, Mm -hmm. support, life, all those things should be part of what we do. So, um, anyway, and, and I think that he, he, he points also to the, it's Israel's purpose to bring all nations into communion with God by bringing them into communion with himself well, I think that's the same way we should be, our job should be bringing other people to God by the lives we live, the lives we live, the choices we make, using the talents and gifts that we have to go out there. So when I think about, for us, it was sports, you know, we, that's why victory sports, I think, is so important, um, particularly for those. Is it's, it's a way of using something that's an everyday thing, or maybe not an everyday thing, but certainly a weekly thing, a football game, a basketball game, a volleyball game, softball game, whatever. But then bringing our faith into that. I think, exactly. it, I think, it, I think that it should kind of permeate people should, what I, I saw something, you know, uh, I don't remember. Where I saw the quote. Oh, it was San Jose Maria Escriva. And I don't, I don't know if I have it with me. But I, I saw it today that, you know, when people, he, he said that when people come in contact with you by what you say and do, they should see Christ. You know, they should, they should notice, well, that guy's different or that family's different. And that's what we tend. Now, the other thing that the church is kind of points to the fact, <laughs> excuse me, we all fail, right? So I fail as a father, Stephanie maybe fails as why I mean as a as a as a mother our children certainly fail in obeying and it's it's a place that we can come back and ask for forgiveness and know that we're going to rec- we're going to receive that forgiveness and so that again that idea of forgiveness we were very um intentional about the way we handled um when somebody violated somebody else in our family or or uh, you know, in a sense, sinned against them, you know, use something they shouldn't have used, took something, broke something. But we, we had a distinction, which I think kind of points to this, which I think the church is very similar to, because, you know, a sin is something that we actively will that causes some damage to somebody or to something that they own that, that requires justice to be done. And so when that was the case, and that's how we evaluated offenses, so to speak, in, in the family, did you know that was not going to be good and did when you went ahead and did it and it negatively impacted another person in one some way then 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 the proper response was will you please forgive me to ask for forgiveness as opposed to i was just we were just playing in the backyard and accidentally i hit this and it broke this toy or i stepped on it but i, I didn't know it was there wasn't thinking <laughs> about it that right. would we would say would be a you could say i'm sorry for that I, I'm, I'm really sorry mm. to make a distinction between between what real what a real sin is it's when I, I i actively willed something that i knew was wrong that negatively impacts somebody else or or myself i willed it that's in need of forgiveness an accident spilling a you know, accidentally turning and hitting a glass and the glass breaks and the milk goes all over the floor. That's a more, I'm sorry than a forgive me. Right. And so, cause it's just an accident. So I think that that's part where you can, where you can bring in them understanding the difference so that when they grow up and go to confession, they can understand accidents that are not associated with other things that I might be doing that, 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 led to the accident like i've used the, the idea throwing a baseball in the back uh, the back's not a problem right throwing it back and forth perpendicular to the house and particularly to windows is a problem please don't do that well when they do that and they break the window the issue's not the broken window because that could have happened accidentally 
but the fact that they were told don't do it mm-hmm. receive guidance and they chose to do it and the result of that is the broken window what they really should be forgiven for and be asking forgiveness for was not obeying and honoring me by doing what they ought to do the broken window is just a result it's a consequence of that which you can be sorry for but i don't want you to forgive me for breaking the window i want you to forgive i want you to ask for forgiveness i didn't follow your instructions that were reasonable instructions that were better for all of us and now we have this problem that's a consequence of you doing that so please forgive me for not listening to you, Dad, for not doing what I was supposed to do, and I'm very sorry for the broken window. Yeah, just as an aside, doesn't it seem like a lot of the times it's, as a parent, you are more about educating to the general from the specific or right. or pointing to the general principle that is at issue moving on from the specific incident that either went well or went bad? I mean... You're, it that's always seems to and helping your helping your children understand that always seems to be part of the battle because they right. have a tendency to get wrapped up in the in the specific of well I wasn't meaning to do that this time what I was trying to do was this or right and 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 so that so I think I think I think it's really important to kind of like teach from the specific I mean everybody yeah. can see the broken window there's glass somebody's got to clean up right we got to get the window replaced because it's in the summer it's hot I mean it, so it's going to cost money all that type of stuff right but I think it's important by taking that example and saying look the church gives us guidelines like these are things we should or shouldn't do and sometimes you can actually violate those and have no consequence, right? I mean, it's possible. They, they, they could have thrown and never broken the window. Right, right. But sin necessarily leads to consequence. And so if you ask me for forgiveness, if you ask me to be forgiven for I didn't listen to you, I, it, was, it would have been just to listen to you. I should have done it. You even pointed out why it would be good to listen. And I didn't because I thought I was good enough to live outside that rule. I wouldn't throw it over. I wouldn't miss the ball. I wouldn't do whatever. Well, they misconstrued They misconstrued the point of the whole incident, which they were focused on, make sure the window doesn't get broken. Right. As a, right. And, and there's you can translate that into a bunch of other things, but just because you violate something that's being taught doesn't mean that necessarily always a bad consequence right. is going to come from it. Right. But just because a bad consequence doesn't come from it doesn't mean that that's still not a valid thing. It's not an every time thing. Right. But but it's a great way to teach, okay, you're sorry, you asked for forgiveness, I forgive you. But guess what? Window's still broken. The consequence relative to that <laughs> breaking of that, uh, the, the breaking of the trust between the guider and the, and the and the those to be guided is still there so it still has to be fixed which helps with a, with a lot of things to understand there's there are consequences associated with sin that we can be forgiven for the sin but still have a debt to pay for the consequence related to it which is the best way I've ever been able to say that that's what purgatory is right Mm -hmm. you 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 you're forgiven you're you haven't been ostracized from the family you're welcome back but as a matter of justice there are things that came from that choice (laughs) that we still have to deal with so y'all are going to work i'm going to fix it grace i'm going to i'm going to fix it with money i have but y'all are going to do some things for us to kind of Payback. Well, it was fixed. None of them had jobs. They were little. I mean, so they really have the ability to to do it. So it's a it's a great outward sign of what forgiveness and sin and consequences re- related to sin to teach your children. That's what the church is saying. You you go to confession, you're forgiven, but that penance is not something that you're actually doing anything. They didn't fix the window. I mean, they didn't. It was just done. Okay, let me ask you this question. We're going a little bit off. Well, but I think it's I think it's part of being that realization and revelation of the prodigal son. Right. Why do you think it wasn't recorded 
in the parable, or why do you think Christ didn't in the parable include some is include as part of the son being welcomed back into the family? Okay, he gets the ring put on his finger, the robe, and the and the the goat is killed and no, everything. And there's no. the party. The father saying after all that, saying, "Okay, now you're going to have to make restitution. Make restitution." Well, I I think part of it is is he trying to tell us something about the I, kingdom I, of God? Well, I think I think what he's trying to te- what he's trying to what he's trying to show is all the stuff that comes with the family. The minute you come back and ask for it, is you're, yours. Is your it's restored to you? All right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's hard to believe because from a human standpoint. God's trying to say, I'm so far above it, y'all. <laughs> I, it's hard to understand. It'd be really easy to understand, well, you're going to have to pay this back, or you're going to have to work, or you're going to have to do whatever. And I'm not saying he did it, but but his being welcomed back in the family wasn't dependent on that. It wasn't dependent on that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's counter to a purely natural human understanding of what's happened, Right. I mean, I think that's what what the point was. He's so merciful. Every when you ask for forgiveness, everything that you lost or gave away or squandered is given back to you. Mm-hmm. I think that's a much harder thing for us as humans to understand. That's how grace, and that's really what happens when we go to confession and and it's and it and it's we've been forgiven. We truly contrite, make a good confession. I forgive you for, of your sins by by an ordained priest. Your sins are forgiven. You are welcome back. No questions asked. Well, there, I mean, you everything you're now reestablished as a fully participating uh, individual. So, is the prodigal son an icon of confession, the sacrament of reconciliation? Well, I think part of it is sure because the the, the idea because he also shows true he also shows true remorse and contrition because he says I should go back and just be a slave. Right. I should go back. And that's that's the thing. And everybody listening to that story ourselves, yeah, that's a smart idea. And yes, you should go back as a slave, right? Right. You should go back it, and just work off. That's and, a huge so I think what Jesus is trying to communicate, the the mercy of God is so great. Right. And so when they came back in from breaking the window and they finally understood, because I made them say, that's not what you're apologizing for. The broken window is a consequence of a of a bigger sin. To focus on that, mm-hmm. to help them understand what what the real issue is. That's where you have to make that distinction between the minute they ask for forgiveness, you're welcome back. You're <laughs> you're fully brought back. It's not dependent on you fixing the window, right? It's not dependent on you making everything right. You don't have to earn your way back into the family. You're back because you simply said I was wrong and I don't deserve your mercy, but I'm asking for it. And God's mercy is so much more infinitely greater than anything we can imagine. He welcomes us back just for turning around. That's the other thing I love about the prodigal son, which I think does fit into this. So we as parents need to need to really, I think when, when something happens and there's a consequence Try to drill back to what's the real issue here. Okay, the consequence is something <laughs> that occurred as a consequence of them doing something and and point out there's two things that are going on here. One is we do have to fix that, but you being welcome back in the family doesn't isn't dependent on that. The most the most important thing is I'm sorry. Right. I shouldn't have done it. Which is which is why we always made them name it and claim it sort of so to speak i mean we would we would say what are you saying you're asking for forgiveness for and then that's where the teaching would come in no that's not what you're you're not asking forgiveness for breaking the window breaking the window is a consequence you're asking forgiveness for you told me that this could be a problem you asked me to not do it and you chose to do it now the 50 times you threw the ball wrong that it didn't break a window you were equally wrong during those 50 times as when there was a consequence that happened because that's real life because mm-hmm. you can violate things and i didn't get caught mm-hmm. but you're still violating it so let's focus on the issue and then r- recognize that part of it 
includes a consequence that sometimes comes along. I think it's a great way to help them understand the difference. So when you go to confession, you're really you're, you're teaching them to look at, okay, what's the real underlying issue? It's not often, it's not the, the consequence that happens as a result. And hopefully we're confessing even when there's not a, there's not a consequence, so to speak, meaning there's not something that actually happened as a result of me choosing to do something I know I shouldn't have done, but I'm focusing on that first, right? I mean, that's not, that's not where, that's not where God gets upset. So he's not, a, he's not upset. He's not saying my mercy is dependent on you paying me back everything that you took from me, which is what most people would do. Right. I mean, that's what the, 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 the one that the parable of the, of the uh, person that owed a, an unpayable balance. And he goes in and he asked, you know, they're going to take his, they're going to, jail him and his family until he pays it back. And it, you know, as I understand it, it was years, something he could never pay back and he's forgiven. Then he goes out and immediately somebody owes him like a week's worth. He throttles the, throttles guy. the guy. Right. And, and I think that points us again to the same thing is that we've got to exhibit that mercy. So part of that mercy is let's be clear on what we've really violated and then recognize the consequence as something different. Well, so, as, a, as a consequence of us yeah, delving into that, I think it's a good thing. I hope that it part is. of the article. We only have six minutes left in the, uh, yeah. in the show, and we still have quite a bit. Quite so, a bit, what, yeah, what else so do you want to? Um, well, I thought I thought it was cool that he, he brought some of the some of the uh, about the fact that Saint Augustine calls it a domestic church, right? And that Saint John Chrysostom doesn't call it a domestic church because it's a little church. What I found fascinating is he pointed out how basically the domestic church, that concept was operative amongst the church fathers. And then from the time of Constantine forward, there was so much more emphasis put in the church on uh, the religious vocation that the, he says um, it was not until the, Sorry, consecrated religious life became the primary model for holiness, and it was the Second Vatican Council that kind of re- resurrected this earlier it was notion. Our, right, and that's the idea of Vatican Council was saying, okay, let's go back and, and recapture that's what the was really the resource, resource mont, and then the aggiornamento, bring it forward mm-hmm. to say, look, and I was brought up, not necessarily, I, I remember when I had my conversion, I thought, I missed my calling, I should have been a priest. I mean, I'm three children into a to a 15-year marriage at that point or whatever. And and the, po- the point is, is that's kind of the way I think the church looked at that, whether <laughs> I knew it or not. And the good Lord like said, the whole, no, I'm going to show you you're supposed to be a father. Here's three more kids. Right. There's the whole, the, the holiness is meant to be for everybody, right? And that's, that's right. And, and so where, does that, where does that happen? That happens at home. And what do we need to become holy? We need truth, truth. And we need grace because that's what John 1, 14 or one seventeen says, you know, grace and truth came. The law came from Moses. Grace and truth came from through Jesus Christ. Those are the two things. Jesus Christ brought us grace and truth. So we need to be a home that's not afraid of the true, the good and the beautiful, even if it might offend or cause some consternation. But at the same time, we need to be people that are also grace filled, like provide them with a way. It's not just the harsh truth. Mm-hmm. It's truth covered with, supported by grace that says, you're still a son, you're still a daughter, even though you violated this based on the truth. And we're going to help you with that. We're going to fix the window, even though you can't. <laughs> so anyway. Yeah, and he, he quotes from Lumen Gentium 11. That's the document, the Constitution on the Church from the Second Vatican Council where the term domestic church is is actually used. But I wanted to give you and the listeners, this is from Lumen Gentium 35, and I think this is maybe even more of a home run hit. In connection with the prophetic function is that state of life which, prophetic function, is that state of life which is sanctified by a special sacrament, obviously of great importance, namely married and family life. For where Christianity pervades the entire mode of family life and gradually transforms it, one will find there both the practice and an excellent school 
of the lay apostolate. In such a home, husbands and wives find their proper vocation in being witnesses of the faith and love of Christ to one another and to their children. The Christian family loudly proclaims both the present virtues of the Christian of the kingdom of God and the hope of a blessed life to come. Thus, by its example and its witness, it accuses the world of sin and enlightens those who seek the truth. I mean, now, yeah. in some ways, that that's a beautiful passage, but it's also uh, kind of accusatory. Right. It makes you stop and makes me stop and ask myself, am I living a life and a family life that accuses the world of sin and enlightens those who seek the truth? Am I, am I doing that? Am I creating that kind of well, family? That should, be a question. that should be a question. And we always got to hold those through. The prophetic role is basically bringing the truth to light, right? So the truth does accuse, right? If you're, if you're living something, you value yourself against the truth, there's going to be, that's what a prophet is meant to be. And so I think, I think that should be a question we ask. We should be, how are we doing that? We're going to fail, so we have to accuse ourselves when we fail as a family, as individuals within a family. That, again, brings to light another aspect of the church, which is grace, which is the counter, not the counter, but the corollary, I guess, if that's the right word, to truth. I think we could continue this discussion yeah. on the next, next episode, starting yeah, with that idea of are we, we need to be thinking about our family life as prophetic. Are we doing that? How do we do that? Right. It's just part of one of the roles. But... We've run out of time. Hopefully this was helpful for y'all. We prayed that it would be, and I know it was always good for me to to talk about that. But always uh, remember, only God can take the mystery out of parenthood. Pray, parent with a purpose, and prepare for God to amaze you. Always will. Promise. Pray for me. Pray for us. We'll be praying for y'all. God bless. Bye.